Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Muslims Want to Know, the show where I try to answer the questions you have about the Bible and Christianity. I'm your host, Reverend Eric Mason. We will get to our question for today in just a moment, but first, some business. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all new episodes. Also, would you take a minute and review this podcast? The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. The more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, if you have specific questions about what you hear on the show, or want me to elaborate a bit more on a topic, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle, at Rev. Eric Mason. Muslims Want to Know is recorded on-site at the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago, Illinois. If you want to know more about the Friendship Center or want to support this podcast, visit www.safcchicago.com forward slash podcast. As always, each podcast builds on the information from the previous ones. So if you're joining us for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to the previous episodes before resuming this one. Here is our recap. In our last conversations, you and I looked at the answers to the question, what do you mean Jesus ascended into heaven? In those conversations, we looked at the swan song of Lord Jesus. And if you remember, the swan song was his final words to his disciples. Now we ended our conversation on a bit of a cliffhanger. See, Lord Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. On the day of the ascension, Lord Jesus' disciples already knew what they were supposed to do, but they did not know how they were supposed to do it. On the fortieth day, Lord Jesus revealed to his disciples how they were about to accomplish the work of God in this world. It would not be through their own strength, but through the strength given to them by God. Lord Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of God, the Holy Spirit. Well, the disciples did go back to Jerusalem, and they waited. And that brings us to our question for today. What is Pentecost? See, this episode is dropping on Sunday, May 23rd, which is a special holiday in the church calendar. Today, Christians from all over the world are celebrating the holiday called Pentecost. But what is Pentecost? Well, in order to answer that question, we're going to continue following the disciples of Lord Jesus as their journey proceeds in the book of Acts. But before we look at the book of Acts, we must first take a detour by examining the life of Moses. Understanding a key moment in the life of Moses will help us better understand Pentecost. Now before we start our time together, let me open our conversation with a brief prayer. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your words and understand and do your will, for we are sojourners upon the earth. 
Do not hide your commandments from us, but open our eyes that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak to us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. Enlighten our minds and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not just to cherish those things written, but to seek after you by doing them. Amen. So, what is Pentecost? Well, it's a Jewish holiday. And now you can ask, but isn't this podcast a podcast about Christianity? Yes, it is. And Pentecost is also a Christian holiday. But if Jewish people don't believe Lord Jesus is the Messiah, how can Pentecost be both a Jewish holiday and a Christian holiday? And that is a great question. I think to start our time off, we should begin with talking about Passover. Now remember, Passover was a Jewish holiday celebrated in the spring. And it's the holiday that was being celebrated at the time of Lord Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, 50 days after Passover is another Jewish holiday. In Hebrew, this holiday is called Shavuot. Now, Shavuot is a very interesting Jewish holiday. Like the Passover, Shavuot is also what is called a pilgrimage holiday. That means Jewish people from all over the world would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate it. So, what is Shavuot, and what does it have to do with our biblical passage today, and what does it have to do with Pentecost? Another great set of questions. You see, Moses recorded the history of the Israelites before and after God delivered them from Egypt. After God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, they traveled through the desert until they came to a mountain called Mount Sinai. There, Moses ascended to the top of the mountain in order to convene with God. It was on that mountain that God gave Moses written laws on stone tablets. These laws would teach the Israelites how to conduct themselves toward God and neighbor and would teach them to be God's priests to the nations. Shavuot is the holiday that celebrates that event. It is the celebration of the giving of the written law to Moses on stone tablets as well as the commemoration of God's laws being written for humanity. But the story of Shavuot does not just end with Moses descending the mountain with the stone tablets. When the Israelites watched Moses go up the mountain, they were excited, anxious, and terrified. But after waiting for some time, they began to grow restless. So they took it upon themselves to fashion a golden idol in the shape of a calf. Not only that, but the people began sacrificing to this idol and worshiping it instead of God. When Moses came down the mountain with the stone tablets, he and his companion Joshua could not believe what they were seeing. Out of righteous anger, Moses dropped the stone tablets and had those who partook in the worship of the false god killed. According to the biblical account, Around 3,000 were killed that day. So just to recap everything, 
Shavuot was a pilgrimage festival which was celebrated 50 days after Passover. It was a holiday that commemorated the giving of the written law on stone tablets to the Israelites. It was also the day in which 3,000 were punished for idol worship. And now you can ask the question, Okay, Eric, what does this have to do with Pentecost? You see, in the first century, not everyone spoke ancient Hebrew or Aramaic. In fact, the predominant language in Jerusalem at that time was Greek, which is the language of the biblical authors. I hope you can tell where I'm heading with this. The Greek word for Shavuot is Pentecoste. Fun fact! The Greek word for the festival of Shavuot is the word Pentecoste. And this is where we get the word Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50th. Keep this in mind as we remember that Shavuot is 50 days after the Passover. In the first century, it was common to hear the festival referred to as both Shavuot, for the Jewish people who spoke Aramaic, and as Pentecoste, for the Jewish people who spoke Greek. Now we know what Pentecost meant to the Jewish people in the first century. But how did this become a Christian celebration? What happened in the life of Christianity that would mark it as a special holiday for the church? With that, we will turn to the book of Acts to find the answers to these questions. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 47 When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, 
that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my Spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to Hades, or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about three thousand people were added to them. Wow! 
There's just too much information here to cover in a single podcast. Now, thankfully, you and I will have many more conversations in the coming months and years to delve into the full meaning of all of this. So where should we start today? Well, to best utilize the time we have left, I'm going to divide the main themes of Pentecost into four points. Then I'll give some parting thoughts before ending our conversation today. Point number one. The coming of the Holy Spirit gave humanity a common language. Point number two. The coming of the Holy Spirit is a fulfillment of God's promise to humanity. Point number three. The coming of the Holy Spirit is the day when God's law was written on the hearts of humanity. Point number four. The coming of the Holy Spirit is the moment the Christian church and movement began. Point number one. The coming of the Holy Spirit gave humanity a common language. There is a story from the Old Testament about a particular moment in history when the people attempted to build a massive tower at a place called Babel. The people who built this tower wanted to reach the heavens. In so doing, they sought to honor themselves and not God. So in order to stop their work on the tower, God confused their languages. Isn't it fitting, then, that the coming of the Holy Spirit would gift the believers with the ability to speak in all the languages of the world? In a great reversal of the curse of language, these simple people from the region of Galilee began supernaturally speaking in the many tongues of the known world. And how did the bystanders respond? Luke records this moment for us. He writes, They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. So, the crowds heard the magnificent acts of God in their own languages. And what were these magnificent acts? Well, the very works of Lord Jesus. Although the followers of Lord Jesus now spoke in the various languages of the crowds, the unifying language was not a language of the tongues of men. No, the new unifying language was the story of Christ and the unifying power of the message of all he said and did. The coming of the Holy Spirit is the signal that people will no longer be divided by language, but united by the story of Christ. The effects of the Tower of Babel were now undone. Point number two. The coming of the Holy Spirit is a fulfillment of God's promise to humanity. Ever since God wrote his laws on the stone tablets, he would reveal through his prophets that one day his Spirit would be poured out on all humanity, 
and that he would write his laws on the hearts of mankind. At the Ascension, Lord Jesus told his disciples they should go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Little did they know that God's long-standing promise would be fulfilled. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was the fulfillment of God's long-awaited promise. Point number three. The coming of the Holy Spirit is the day when God's law was written on the hearts of humanity. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Pentecost is the moment in which God himself descended to dwell within us, to give us his heart. And in so doing, he would then write his laws on our hearts and draw us into the self-giving life and love of the triune God. Point number four. The coming of the Holy Spirit is the moment the Christian church and movement began. After coming down the mountain, Moses had 3,000 killed because of their worship of the golden calf. But, after the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples, Peter addressed the crowds. Luke records that 3,000 people came to believe that day. 3,000 who were otherwise dead had now found new life as they were regenerated by God the Holy Spirit. If there's any takeaway from the story of Pentecost, it is this. This is the moment when the early believers went from being a small band of disciples to the beginning of the Christian church and the Christian movement that continues to this day. The true church is not an institution, but a movement of priests, prophets, and kings who are called to expand the kingdom of God. This expansion is not accomplished through force, but as members are added every day because of their encounter with the free, self-giving love of the triune God as expressed in and through the church. The church is God's boundaryless kingdom, not defined by territory or language, but by those whose hearts have received the message of Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God. So, what is Pentecost? Well, to put it succinctly, the Jewish celebration of Shavuot and Pentecost was the celebration of the day God's law was written on stone. It was a day in which 3,000 people died because of idolatry. But the Christian celebration of Pentecost is the celebration of the moment in which God's law was written not on stone, but on the very hearts of the faithful. It was the day in which 3,000 were saved from death by their belief in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Lord Jesus. It is the beginning of the church, which Christians call the mystical body of Christ. But more on that in our coming episodes, where I begin to answer the question, what is the church? Well, once again, thank you so much for joining me. I hope and pray that as you continue to seek God, you ask for visions and clarity on all these Christian claims. If you would like a good resource on the material I covered today, 
I recommend The Acts of the Apostles by David Peterson. Now, as always, the Bible translation I use is the Christian Standard Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I recommend downloading the YouVersion app and selecting the CSB version from the list of translations. And that sound means it's about time to wrap up. Before I give the usual wrap-up, I want to inform you about an exciting initiative at the Friendship Center. We are creating an e-learning platform through our website, and we're calling this platform the SAFC Global University. Through this platform, we are offering free online classes on some of the finer details of the Bible and Christianity. The first course we'll be offering will be on the Trinity. Now we're planning on launching this platform sometime in the next several weeks. So visit us at www.safcchicago.com and click on the e-learning section at the bottom of the website. There, you can subscribe to our newsletters and join our growing list of folks like yourself who are looking to learn even more about all the subjects we discuss on these podcasts. And speaking of podcasts, if you like this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all new episodes. Also, would you take a minute and review this podcast? Doing so helps this podcast come up as a recommendation for folks like yourself. As always, if you have specific questions about what you heard on the show, or want me to elaborate a bit more on a point I made, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle, at Rev Eric Mason. You can also contact us through our website, www.safcchicago.com. I will do my best to answer your questions in future podcasts. I also encourage you to reach out to a Christian friend or co-worker and ask them about the things you hear on this podcast. If you hear something about Islam you didn't know before, research it. Or ask your Muslim friends or imam about it. From our recording studio at the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago, Illinois, to wherever you're listening, I want to say thank you so much for continuing our conversation. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you.